0: Taymos Hill is back. Hill. The Prodigal She's Son back. returns.
1: Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mantle Welcome in to the Fantasy Prosecution Podcast. I am your host, Brett Pelleschotti. With me now and always is my boy Kyle Settle. What's going on, man?
0: What's up, dude? Nothing hey,
1: you much, know how man. in the uh
0: you know in the Google show sheet like neither one of us get our names pop up so when one of us is in it, it just gives us like uh, anonymous whatever? Yeah. Yeah, you're Anonymous Hippopotamus right now, and that just rolls right off the tongue. I love it. The Anonymous Hippopotamus. That's better if than the piggyback a- <laughs> profit, right?
1: <laughs> if I ever go to Twitter, that's what my handle's going to be, The Anonymous Hippopotamus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, uh, we got a busy day today. Oh, yeah, we got a lot. And so we can't spend a ton of time on this, but I wanted to ask you, just top of your dome, eight weeks into the season, who's on the hot seat? Is it uh, any specific coaches other than, you know, the obvious yeah. candidates?
0: Yeah, so I have it broken down into two little buckets, right? The first bucket are the guys that I will be surprised if they're not fired. And the guys who fall into that, Joe Judge, Matt Nagy, David Culley, Urban Meyer. All those ring true, right?
1: I would be surprised if Urban Meyer got fired. I would. What? Th- people kid- thought he was going to get fired like three weeks ago. Thing is, it yeah, exactly, and it can't really get much worse than that. So, if he stuck around through <laughs> that's that, that's
0: your basis for keeping him employed. Can't get any not, worse, no, <laughs> y'all. I'm just saying,
1: if he stuck around through that, why would they just wait to fire him at the end of the season? Oh, so you, you think know, he's bulletproof? They? Well, if year one, kind to of to an extent, I, mean, I guess. A guy with his pedigree, I think probably you'd fire him though, right. I are the general
0: be. manager. You probably, I mean, we don't ever make that hire. We were questioning it from day one. But the more interesting one, I think, is the guys who I guess I would call the dark horse candidates. All right. And they are Brian Flores of the Dolphins. I don't know how much of a dark horse he really is anymore when the teams lost seven in a row. The longest streak in the NFL save, I think, the Lions. And then the next two might be sort of surprising names. So I got Mike Zimmer, head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, who just fell to Cooper Rush, a backup quarterback in primetime. And Kyle Shanahan, a guy that we talked about a few weeks ago. It's just another lost season, it seems, for San Francisco, even though they pulled out the win this week. But even if he doesn't get let go, those hot seat whispers, I think, are going to get louder and louder as the off season goes on.
1: I don't know if you did this to save my ego or you just forgot, but Nick Sirianni, Sirianni totally no, be on the hot no, seat.
0: No, then. no, no. I thought about <laughs> Sirianni, but similar to what you were saying about Urban Meyer is the one-and-dones, you have to be just like – Obviously incompetent, I guess. Like there has yeah, to be a, zero hope, which I think for the two first-year coaches that we put on there, or that I put on there, Urban Meyer and David Culley, um, yeah, th- those are pretty obvious. I do think there's coaches. like a culture
1: shift going on in the NFL though, where similar to the quarterback position, if you don't have like the guy, I think the leash is getting shorter. Yeah, for less that, hesitance to move on. Yeah, like the stopgap guys, the guys that, that, that you that's know true, yeah. exactly. You know, gonna win your championships. So i think you could start seeing guys getting pulled a lot quicker but all right man let's move on to the news and the notes ladies and gentlemen can i please have your attention i've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story and i need all of you
0: to stop what you're doing and listen cannonball
1: It out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. So the deadline came with a lot of hype, but a bit of a dud. Yawn. Main <laughs> main thing being Deshaun Watson staying in Houston. Obviously that would have mm-hmm. been the biggest personnel move of the year, and uh, no movement on that whatsoever. I think we all should have seen this coming, but. I, I just like everybody fell into the hype a little bit and thought that there was a good chance he would be moved
0: yeah it was a a long shot i guess is the best way to put it everyone wanted the move because right now he's just sitting not dressing like he's an NFL player like all this legal stuff's gonna work itself out and whatever happens happens I'm not speaking to any of that but He's not suspended. He's not on the commissioner's list. He's completely eligible to play. And that's what I think the frustrating part, even if you don't own Deshaun Watson, even if you just want to enjoy the game of football, Deshaun Watson's an elite quarterback who's not dressing right now. He's not playing. He's not practicing. He's just existing in this state of limbo. And I think everyone, no matter whether you own shares or not, just kind of wanted to see the next step in the process, which is getting him back out, hopefully, onto a football field. And so yeah, I was a little heartbroken to see that it didn't happen. But the, I think the next uh, big step for the settlement, or for the uh, the case, rather, is going to be when he gives, I think, his deposition in February. So we still have a long way of waiting before all this Deshaun Watson
1: stuff's behind us. Yeah, now it's just a question of will it be figured out before the NFL draft? Because Right, yeah. They have as good a chance as anybody to get the number one overall pick, being the Houston Texans. So,
0: And they know Deshaun Watson's not their future anyway, though. So I don't think yeah. they're the ones waiting on it. I think it's more of the Miamis or Philadelphias in the world who may have that top 10 pick might go in a direction of quarterback if they can't land Deshaun Watson. But yeah, with all this stuff in the air, that's going to be the next big deadline to hit, you're right
1: uh another big move in the deadline actually the only big move von miller was traded from the broncos to the rams for a 2022 second and third round picks uh so this you know on the surface doesn't look like it has much fantasy implication but i wanted to point it out being that the rams now don't have a first second or third yeah. round pick in 2022 they also don't have a first round pick in 2023 so if you look at the weapons that the rams have on their offense currently the guys that we're worried about for fantasy you're not going to see much turnover there this offseason i don't think you can i don't think you can plan on them spending any money either because because they're pretty cap strapped as they have been for the past two to three years so uh you're looking at cooper cup uh robert woods whose contract is coming to an end uh van Jefferson, and tutu atwell being like the the four major guys there and then the running backs Cam Akers, Dow Henderson. And I don't think you could really count on much change there.
0: Yep, I think the guys that are there are going to be set in place for a while. Like you said, not a lot of cap room because they make these deals. Uh, Even though, or sorry, on top of not getting rookies, you're also not getting that rookie salary that sort of will make it easier on your salary cap management. They've got to bring in all these veterans on massive deals. So they're cap strapped, they're pick strapped, but they're all in. I I, I honestly love the way I was talking to you about it a little bit over the weekend. I love the way that they run their franchise, but I'm not a Rams fan. If I was, maybe I look at it a little bit differently if I'm rooting for this team and I know I got to stick with them even when this all-in stuff is in the rear view because we see teams all the time, quote-unquote, go all-in with their acquisitions and and it doesn't work out. You saw it from the New Orleans Saints last year. You've seen it from the Rams this year. They've got a really stacked NFC that they've got to get out of to go Super Bowl or bust, which is what it looks like. and it's going to be a tall order as far as the fantasy moves. I think what you said is the only thing I can really take from it is that the main wide receivers in there, the running backs tight end, they're probably just set in stone now they're, You know, you're not worried about free agents coming in or draft picks coming in and kicking them off the field.
1: Yeah. They're the only hope for, for something really changing. there is some undrafted free agent or a late round pick coming in and being something that they weren't um, scouted to be coming into the NFL draft. But after that move, uh, we had some bad news this week. Derek Henry, suffers a Jones fracture, out six to ten weeks, and in response, the Tennessee Titans sign Adrian Peterson, 34 years old, I believe, Adrian I think Peterson. 36,
0: actually. 36, wow. <laughs> believe 36 it or
1: not. Wow, it feels like he doesn't go, like he's like the new Frank Gore. You know, he just kind of mm-hmm. sticks around and, and hops from team to team, somehow finds a lot of work, and I, I think that's what he's walking into here.
0: Yeah, Don't get it twisted. I don't think anyone thinks that Adrian Peterson is the next Derrick Henry by any means. So definitely temper your expectations. He's worth an ad, but I'm hesitant to even start him until I see what his volume is going to be like. He got some guys that are already there that have been with the team. Obviously, Jeremy McNichols is the big one people want to talk about. He is primarily a pass catcher, but I expect him to get a little bit more volume. And then... And a real dark horse to keep an eye on, a guy that you and I were both high on four or five years ago when he came out is Deontay Foreman, and he's on the Titans roster, has been all season, but he had that Achilles injury happen to him a few years ago. We haven't seen him in any major capacity since, but I know he's a guy that you and I both like a few years ago, just never seemed to manifest through the injuries and crowded backfield. Look for him maybe to get a chance, and if you have a spot or two open on your roster, I think he's worth a stash in Dynasty, just until we see how this backfield plays out
1: that's a good call i mean this this injury happened a few days ago and a lot of people have been spitting out you know the mcnichols the ap but nobody's really mentioned him and i think you have to look at this backfield as more fluid than people are are kind of picturing it right now they think it's just going to be a 50 50 mcnichols ap and there's no way we can guarantee that we haven't seen this play out in the field yet derrick henry's been a workhorse an iron man and we haven't seen the tennessee titans without him so i think uh Trying to find a little value there is great. It's kind of like how Baltimore was early in the year when we found out that J.K. Dobbins was injured. It's a mad dash to grab the next guy up. But, you know, look at it now, eight weeks later, there hasn't been a single guy that you're yeah. happy that you grabbed. So, you know, try to I feel find like you need to take a shower there.
0: anytime you play one of those guys. I
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, over to Atlanta where Calvin Ridley uh, put out a statement. He's stepping away from football for mental health reasons. Um, in terms of how this uh, pans out for Dynasty, I think if you have him, you got to hold him. Um, I think I think he will make his way back onto the field. Hopefully, for his sake, he will. Um, you know, obviously, a football player by, by nature, by profession, you hope that he can get back to a, a headspace to, to be a football player again. Uh, and also for fantasy, he has been great in the past. Kind of a down year, but maybe maybe that has something to do with his mental health. You know, maybe it's something we can't hold against him. Totally not worth training him right now. Uh, just hold right. on to him and and see what happens.
0: Yeah, first and foremost, like you like you said, you hope he gets back to a good space where he's able to play football again, enjoy his life again, and get over whatever it is that's burdening him right now. Um, We've seen it a lot throughout the NFL, obviously, with everything that happened with Dak Prescott over the offseason with the loss of his brother. And athletes are just more open about open health, or about uh, mental health right now. We saw it uh, just recently in the Olympics right before the NFL started with Simone Biles sitting out for a few competitions because she wanted to focus on her mental health. It's something that's becoming more normal, and I think that's a good thing in the NFL and in sports in general, just in society in general. So that's good. First and foremost, you hope that he can get back on track. And like you said, as far as Dynasty, the impact of that, you got to hold. But keep in mind, everything is on the table when we talk about a mental health issue like this. It's not a broken bone that all you can do is just prop it up, put it on a mend, and it's going to heal itself. All right? There's a very real possibility that he doesn't come back. Okay, that's I'm not saying I'm predicting that. No one has any idea the way this is going to go. I don't think Calvin Ridley knows how this is going to go. But you have to know as a manager that that is something on the table and start making plans accordingly.
1: You know, from one wide receiver stepping away to another getting taken away in handcuffs. Henry Ruggs, charged with a fatal DUI, he is now imprisoned and he is cut by the Raiders. Uh, he's facing 2 to 20 years in prison if convicted of uh, DUI resulting in a death. So, um, obviously, he's this he, is kind of like the—who's uh, that running back? Darius guys? It's kind of like the Darius Geis situation. Uh, when you're facing this series of legal issues— uh, maybe it's worth keeping him on a deep, deep, deep roster. Um, but chances are his time in the NFL is over.
0: Yeah, just a horrible I, – I have no sympathy for Henry Ruggs and a stupid mistake. This was – the NFL has a program in place that you can get a chauffeur, like a free Uber, at any time. So there's absolutely zero excuse for getting behind the wheel of a car after drinking. That's for anyone. It doesn't matter your status on the planet. And, yeah, no sympathy for what's going on with Henry Ruggs now. Um Yeah, not not a whole lot that I want to say on it. I'm just going to get jacked up and angry at a guy who's not here. So, Henry Ruggs, like you said, if he's deep on a waiver stat or on your uh, roster, you don't need to cut him. Whatever, hold on to him. Maybe we don't have all the information yet, but he's a guy who, like you said, is probably finished with his time in
1: the NFL. And what that means, fantasy wise, is that Brian Edwards is seemingly uh, in a position to capture a lot more of a workload and a guy that we've talked about liking in the past. Uh, he has a profile that speaks to a wide receiver one, just hasn't put the production together, hasn't been utilizing that offense. But as we know, that team is in flux. They have a new head coach. Granted, he's interim. He may not stick around. Um, but even then, I mean, maybe a college coach comes in next year that has something fresh or wants to design things for Brian Edwards. And And as of right now, he's almost the last guy standing. Him, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller. Um, So, you know, on on that, so
0: obviously Brian Edwards, maybe a little less competitions for snaps, but as far as the role they play, the guy who's going to get the biggest bump from this, even though I don't think it's going to be huge, huge one, I think is going to be Zay Jones, who can play that stretch the field sort of Henry Ruggs-esque role. He was the one backing up Henry Ruggs as the Z receiver on that offense. Henry or uh, Brian Edwards, rather, much more the X while you have Renfro as the Y, the slot guy, and then obviously Darren Waller. So the guy who's actually going to stretch the field, I think look for Zay Jones to make that jump. Not that I'm making him fantasy relevant or throwing him in any lineups, but if he is out there on waivers, someone to monitor, he'll be a low-volume, boomer bust, maybe desperation play for you. But I do expect him to get the biggest bump from
1: losing Ruggs. That is a good point. On to New Orleans where Jameis Winston he did in fact tear his ACL he is out for the year and another New Orleans Saint Michael Thomas tweets that he is also done for the season with a continuation on his ankle injury or a different injury uh, but it's still an ankle one so two guys that we kind of were, were looking at as values maybe uh, this season are now officially out for the, for the remainder and uh, Michael Thomas it's it's been rough for the past 18 months. Um, I'm not sure how much he has left in the tank after this. How do you kind of value him in Dynasty going forward?
0: Gosh, it's tough to say with him and Jameis. I think it's very likely, not even possible. It's it, I would even call it likely at this point that we might have seen the last of Jameis Winston as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Maybe that's bold, but he is on a one-year deal. You're going to give now Sean Payton back his darling Taysom Hill as the starting quarterback for the second half of the season, and he's inheriting a very good team. They just beat the defending champs this last weekend, and I believe they're now only half a game back in the NFC South. So they got a solid team, a great defense, even without Michael Thomas. With Taysom Hill, you can find ways to win. We've seen them do it in the past, so I think he's going to take this job by the reins, and I don't think Jameis gets to come back. With how cash-strapped and you really just didn't see – anything out of Jameis, at least I didn't through the first half of the season to make you say, yes, this is our guy to go with moving forward. Like he was fine. Don't get me wrong. He was very efficient, but also very low volume. And you saw several times throughout the season him go back to his old Jameis Winston type head scratching play ways. And so I wouldn't be surprised at all to see new Orleans move on after the season. And as far as Michael Thomas, yeah, yeah, he's an enigma as well because he's now a wide receiver in his thirties. And even though Sort of like Devontae Adams, the reason I still had Adams as my number one dynasty receiver this offseason is because he has the skill set that transcends age. He can keep playing the style of play that he does well into his early 30s. So I wouldn't be shocked to see Michael Thomas come back and semi-return to maybe generic off-brand form, maybe as a low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two for a year or two, but he is going into his 30s. Quarterback situation in flux, his own situation in flux, obviously coming off of injury it's a rough spot to be in for any michael thomas owner
1: yeah and uh, finally here are our last bit of news just broke here recently aaron Rodgers tested positive for covid so jordan love will be the starter against the chiefs so it's it's worth noting there's not a single quarterback on the roster um, that's available besides jordan love so there's no like you know, maybe they'll throw Kirk Benkert in there to give Jordan Love some more time because you know, he's coming off a short week or something like that. No, Jordan Love is the starter. Um, he's gonna have all the first team uh, reps. You know, he's gonna be the guy. So we will finally get to see some action, some Jordan Love action here in regular season meaningful football. And um, man, he's not getting an easy test. I mean, I know the Chiefs aren't a great off or great defense, but in order to keep up with a with a potent Chiefs offense, he's gonna have to produce.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a tough test for him, but it's a game where he should be given plenty of opportunity to move the ball against what's been a bad defense to start the season. And I expect a game plan very similar to what we saw on last Thursday night against Arizona for the Green Bay Packers. A lot of A.J. Dillon, a lot of Aaron Jones, maybe 40, 45 rush attempts in this ball game. And I think if Devontae Adams is back, which is still not a guarantee – But if Devontae Adams is back, I think that's the expectation that Jordan Love is absolutely worth a start in two QB leagues against the defense that he's playing uh, in Kansas City. The fact that this could be a come-from-behind game that he should have plenty of volume now don't set your expectations so high i I wouldn't start him in single quarterback or anything like that but this is going to be a nice first test for jordan love and as a packers fan obviously you hate to see it but i am excited to see jordan love with his full complement of weapons the the who (laughs) the offense that's healthy that's left uh david bacchiari did return to practice so hopefully they get him back you still have several other injuries along the offensive line and along the defense so it's going to be a a tall order for green bay but i'm excited. to see what Love's got when he's not out there throwing to Malik Taylor and other guys who got cut a few
1: weeks later, like we saw in the preseason. So, are we predicting a Mike White level first start in the NFL for Jordan Love? Um, I'm
0: not only predicting it; I'm guaranteeing it. All aboard <laughs> the Love Train, baby!
1: All aboard the Love Train. You heard it here first. So. <laughs> Speaking of Mike White, let's get into the Week 8 recap. We start in Atlanta where the Falcons fell to the Panthers 19-13. Sam Darnold was concussed in this one, but he didn't do much before that for fantasy purposes. The Carolina Weapons suffered because of it. DJ Moore scored less than 10 points in three of the last four weeks. And on the other side, Cordell Patterson continues to impress as he sees at least 14 opportunities for the fifth time this year. Kyle Pitts followed his two big-time performances with his worst of the year. Uh, that was just the nature of this game, super sloppy. Calvin Ridley, as we talked about, stepped away from football, so pay attention for news on that as we move
0: forward. Yeah, Cordell Patterson was great. 60-plus scrimmage yards in seven games in a row. That's the longest streak by an Atlanta running back, if you choose to call him that. Since Devontae Freeman back in 2017, the Panthers ran the ball effectively as well, too. 203 yards on the ground. That's the most for them in a game since Week 5, 2019. To a divisional game that went to overtime, the Titans win 34-31 over the Colts. Derrick Henry lost for the rest of the fantasy season. It's going to be all on Ryan Tannehill, who has three or more passing touchdowns in each of his two games against the Colts this season. He's had fewer than two passing touchdowns, so one or none versus all other opponents. Two touchdowns in the first quarter for Michael Pittman. He's the first Colt to accomplish that since Brandon Stokely back on Thanksgiving Day 2004.
1: Wow. AJ Brown, he's really got you know caught fire here. He scored his seventh 50 plus yard touchdown. That's second most since 2019. Kyle, do you know who's had the most 50 plus yard touchdowns in that time span? Was it Jamar Chase? No, it was his teammate Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill is going to be asked to do a whole lot without Derrick Henry, but he sure has the weapons to do so in AJ Brown and Julio Jones. So more on that later. In Orchard Park, New York, the Bills won convincingly over the Dolphins 26 to 11. Josh Allen continues to get it done through the air and with his legs, marks three of seven weeks that he scored through the air and on the ground. Also, three times this year that three Bills wide receivers were able to crest double digit fantasy points. For the Finns, Tua's rollercoaster season continues, but without the trade for Deshaun Watson, he'll likely continue to be the starter in Miami and hopefully get to uh, develop down there. As Devontae Parker came back and he immediately saw his role increase, taking targets directly from Mike Gusecki, but in a tough matchup, I wouldn't try to glean much from that. As a whole, uh, Gusecki is still worth a weekly start in my opinion.
0: Tuatunga-Vailoa surpasses Cleo Lemon, there's a name drop for you, for the second most rushing touchdowns among Dolphins quarterbacks in their first two seasons. Josh Allen, outstanding, did it all in the fourth quarter. He had a passing touchdown, rushing touchdown for the 19th time since being drafted in 2018, most in the NFL during that span. Buffalo, an undefeated 19-0 in those games. Next up, the stunner that ruined so many parlays over the weekend as the Jets win 34-31 over the Cincinnati Bengals. The game was the first time since 2019 that the Jets have scored 30 points. Led by Magic Might White Lightning, who joins Cam Newton as the only quarterback to throw for 400 yards in their first career start. For the Bengals... Jamar Chase has more receiving yards through eight games than any player since the merger. I'm going to keep the trend, and we're going to talk about him every single week. Joe Mixon has two touchdowns on the day, one through the ground and one through the air, extending his touchdown streak to five straight, the longest for a Cincinnati running back since Rudy Johnson
1: in 2005. Play that funky music, Mike Whiteboy. <laughs> Holy shit, <laughs> dude. The kid was on fire. He became the first player in the Pro Football Reference Database to throw for 400 yards and three touchdowns in his first NFL start. And Jamar Chase, once again, every week we got to mention, he has seven touchdown receptions this year. All other rookie wide receivers combined have seven touchdowns. Man's hot. The Steelers came into the land and beat the Browns in a typical low-scoring AFC North battle. Baker was rough in this one, whether because of injury or just poor performance, he is not playing winning football for the Browns or your fantasy team. He's currently the QB, 28 in points per game. Jarvis Landry didn't help him out, though, totaling two drops in this game after missing several weeks. On the other side, Najee Harris has 29 opportunities and continues to be the most reliable back in fantasy. Really proving me wrong. And Pat Firemouth has come alive. He now has double digit fantasy points in back-to-back weeks and three times total on the year for the rookie. The
0: Muth got Luth. Shout out to fantasy footballers. Five drives into Steelers territory result in just 10 points to the Brownies. Odell Beckham Jr. has two catches or fewer and fewer than 30 receiving yards in four separate games this season. Holy cow. Ben Roethlisberger, 24-2-1 as the starter versus Cleveland in the regular season. That's the fourth highest QB win percentage against any one opponent in the NFL all time. The Steelers undefeated this season when he does not throw a pick and they have not won a game in a game where he has. The Eagles roll over the Lions 44-6 in Detroit, Philly with over 230 rushing yards in the win, many of which were from quarterback Jalen Hurts who becomes the first quarterback with 30 or more rushes in each of their first 12 career starts. The Eagles score 40 or more for the first time since winning 41-33 in Super Bowl 52. That was 58 games ago.
1: Detroit is a train wreck. The Dan Campbell experience is a hard one to watch, and I think it's going to be coming to an end sooner rather than later. Uh, maybe this game moves the goalpost for a potential Jalen Hurts benching, uh, but I would not hold your breath. Interesting. Over, to, over to Houston, where the Texans backdoor cover but still lose to the Rams. Matt Stafford is your 2021 NFL MVP. You heard it here first. He has been absolutely dominant, particularly when targeting Cooper Cup who's on pace to break former Stafford pass catcher Calvin Johnson's yards in a season's record. He's gone over 90 yards in seven of eight weeks and joins Derrick Henry as the only non-quarterback to be in the top 10 in fantasy points scored so far this year. And Daryl Henderson bounced back from a down week. A lot of these Rams will be on championship rosters for sure
0: the aforementioned cooper cup the first player in the super bowl era with 10 or more touchdowns and 900 or more receiving yards in his first eight games of the season matt stafford your mvp is passer rating over 125 it's the fourth time he's accomplished that this season the first time in his career he's accomplished that we're not even halfway through the texans the only team in the nfl to allow 21 or more points in every single game this season next up 49ers travel to Chicago get the win 33-22 over the Bears they improved to 7-0 in games where Jimmy Garoppolo throws for over 300 yards San Francisco their offense was rolling they did not punt or turn the ball over in this game that's the second time that's happened to the Bears since 1940 the other time when team owner Aaron Rodgers did not turn the ball over or punt back in week four 2014.
1: Justin Fields had some flashes in this one uh, particularly on design rollouts, Fields was 4 for 4 for 40 yards and a touchdown. Take some notes, Matt Nagy. Brandon Ayuk, he may have turned the His Peripheral numbers are starting to take a positive spike, but probably still a wait-and-see situation at the moment. And holy Debo Samuel, he has three games of 150-plus receiving yards. That's most in the room. Over to LA, where the Patriots come in and hand the Chargers their second loss in as many weeks. Though outmatched on paper, the Patriots were uniquely positioned to beat the Chargers with a short, patient passing game and the ability for Bill to scheme up away your best asset. In this one, it was Mike Williams who got blanketed. Austin Eckler was and is impervious to matchups or game script or anything else you want to stack against him as he is the only Charger to have a big day. Though Keenan Allen did show some lifestyle double-digit targets for the first time since week four as he could be a more focal point going forward. We know he is very talented. And, uh, hey, Jacoby Myers, why don't you score a touchdown, bud?
0: Yeah, the aforementioned Myers has 190 career targets now without a touchdown, just four targets away from the all-time mark set by Chiefs Offensive Coordinator
1: Eric Bienemy. Here's one for you. We know Jacoby Myers is never going to be a head coach.
0: Mac Jones has 192 completions in his first eight career games. Only Joe Burrow and his opponent on the opposite sideline, Justin Herbert, had more among rookies in their first eight starts. Austin Eckler, eighth touchdown of the season, tied for second behind only Derrick Henry in the NFL. Next up to Seattle, where the Hawks demolished the Jacksonville Jaguars, 31-7. to Trevor Lawrence's top three targeted players this week, Jamal Agnew, Dan Arnold, Carlos Hyde. That's who accounted for 60% of his passes on Sunday. Gross. The Seahawks improved to 4-0 at home versus the Jaguars in franchise history. They've outscored 141-39 to of the Jaguars in those games. Tyler Lockett gets back on pace with 60 or more receiving yards for the first time in his last six games. The Hawks hoping to get Russell Wilson back under center following their Week 9 bye when they'll take on the Green Bay Packers with or without Aaron Rodgers.
1: Alright, taking a look at that Seattle backfield as Alex Collins still has a groin injury lingering, Rashad Penny's involved, Travis Homer, DJ Dallas, and the eventual return of Chris Carson. Things are getting murky there. i try to sell these guys if at all possible. Over to New Orleans where the Buccaneers walk in and lose by two scores for the third time in two years. Tom just can't shake these Saints in the regular season. He's had three games since joining the Bucs where he was sacked or turned the ball over five-plus times, and all three of those games were against the Saints. With Antonio Brown out, Chris Godwin was the main beneficiary, seeing 12 targets while facing the CB2 in New Orleans come comeback was short-lived as he went out early with back spasms, but now he has the bye week to recover, so we're looking at him coming back potentially with 10. On the other side, we see Jameis go down to a season-ending injury, as we mentioned earlier. Trevor Simeon came in in relief, and he did okay, but with all factors taken in, we're, we're most likely going to see Taysom Hill come in here, and uh, if that's indeed the case, we're looking at a downgrade for all involved, though. Though Jameis isn't a stud, he's definitely better for the pass the game than, than Taysom Hill has been. Taysom Hill.
0: Jameis Hill is back. Hill. The prodigal <laughs> son back. returns. The Saints win the game but lose Jameis to the ACL. Taysom, the presumed starter, James. like you said. Oh, boy. Tom Brady, a record of 2-4 and four against the Saints in the Sean Payton era, dating all the way back to 2006. That's his worst record against any team in that span. Then just a boring game in the afternoon slate as the Broncos beat the football team 17 to 10. They improved to 4-0 in games where they allow 14 or fewer points. Melvin Gordon, the first Denver player with a rushing touchdown and receiving touchdown in a game since CJ Anderson back week 2 of 2017. It was textbook Teddy at the Bridgewater. <laughs> <laughs> so we're laughing because <laughs> we're laughing because we're looking at the show sheet where somehow my textbook Teddy got <laughs> autocorrected to sexbook Teddy. <laughs> And I'm just gonna roll with that. It makes it makes for just better listening, I think. So, sex book Teddy, got a huge dong that Teddy. <laughs> it's almost as bad. I was chuckling at the one previous, and we're ruining the roundup right now. But on the last <laughs> section, you actually got autocorrected for Trevor Simeon's name to Trevor Seaman. Two wings. So I think we've got two new names to call these guys moving forward between uh. Trevor Seaman and Sex Book Teddy. <laughs> anyway. He had a 70% completion percentage and no fix for the fourth time this season. That's the most by any quarterback in the NFL. Antonio Gibson finishes with just a 33% snap count on the day after being taken off the injury report last week.
1: Get it together, Brett. The Broncos were sellers (laughs) at the deadline. And I think you can look for them to be evaluating their young talent. Maybe that means more for Javante Williams. I know all of us fantasy heads are hoping for that. Yes, sir. In, prime, in prime time, the, the Cooper Rush-led Cowboys down the Vikings in Minnesota. Kirk Cousins didn't do himself any favors as we see yet another primetime collapse from the quarterback. In a year where he's playing maybe his best football to date, I thought this could be the year that he turns that around. But lo and behold, he disappoints again. Cooper Rush, on the other hand, was solid. And uh, you got to be pleasantly surprised by how he facilitated three pass catchers going over 15 fantasy points, that being Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Cedric Wilson. Uh, The RBs on both sides were disappointing. There weren't many touchdown opportunities on either side, uh, so those guys both disappointed. And Adam Thielen, low-key having another solid year, already six touchdowns through seven games, and averaging a a healthy weekly yardage total.
0: Yeah, only one stat matters in this ball game. As intrigued as I was by everything you just rattled off, but the Cooper rush to Amari Cooper game-winning touchdown—the only time in NFL history where the passer's first name is the same as the receiver's last name—it gets better. The Cowboys also have the only passing touchdown in which the passer's last name and the receiver's first name match, which happened just last season. Shotty, can you name the duo?
1: Uh, not, was it like James Winston and some guy named Winston? I don't
0: know. No, 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 no. It was on the Cowboys. <laughs> that should narrow it down. You're going to get this one.
1: Well, it wasn't Ben DiNucci. It was not so, DiNucci. Oh, it was, First uh, name. The, the Red oh, Rocket. Go. There you um, go. To who? Andy Dalton. Dalton Schultz. There it Got is. Got it. I had to say it out loud. There it is. Nice. We made it. To Monday Night
0: Football, where the Chiefs eke on out against the Giants 20-17. Derek Gore becomes the first player out of Louisiana Monroe to score a touchdown in the NFL since Baltimore fullback Alan Ricard in 2003. Why is that a name I remember? I don't know. Daniel Jones, his one-yard score in the second quarter, was his first pass completion in the end zone this season. Giants are now 5-43 and when trailing at halftime since 2017. That's the most losses in the NFL over that span.
1: Man, these chiefs make being so good look so hard. But that'll do it for the week eight recap. Man, we uh, struggled bust through that one. That was, that was rough, tough.
0: We're, we're getting better and worse at the same time on these recaps. <laughs> Simultaneously happening.
1: So next, as always, we are moving on to our contenders and rebuilders buys and sells. Up first is the buys. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, 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 Okay, I love you. Bye, bye. Who's there?
0: Bye, bye. Yeah. Bye. Now, before we I start ha- naming off the buys, I got to ask you: Is there any added pressure knowing that in a, a month, month and a half from now, we're going to have to put all these back under the microscope and see how they did?
1: Now, I mean, scared money don't make money, man. You got to fucking go. there it is. Excuse me. You got to send it. You just got to, you know. Know that you're doing the right things for the right reasons. You get all your ducks in a row, Mm and you fire off a take. Do it with confidence.
0: 50 told me, go ahead, switch the style up. And if they hate, then let them hate. And watch the money pile up. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I love just throwing you for a loop sometime where you clearly have no idea how to respond to some nonsense I just threw out there.
1: Hey man, only G's moving sounds like lasagna. There it is. Now we're rolling. (laughs) All right, so my contender bye for the week is Ryan Tannehill. So, since joining the Titans, Ryan Tannehill has been hyper efficient. In 2019, he threw a touchdown pass on 7.7% of his throws. That was good for second in the league that year. In 2020, He threw a touchdown on 6.9% of his throws. That was good for third in the league that year. So slightly lower, but still very high. And now this year, when he has the best wide receiver core of his career, his percentage goes down to 3.8%. Make it make sense. Doesn't make any sense, right? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. The two main ones being that his running back, Derrick Henry, is on a historic pace or was on a historic pace in terms of production. And... His top two pass catchers, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, have missed a combined five games while also being limited in more games out of uh, 15 total between the two of them so far. Derrick Henry, as we know, is out for the season. But before he went out, he has accounted for half of all of the Titans' touchdowns this year. In 2019, the Titans' rushing rushing touchdown percentage was at 37.5%. In 2020... It was up slightly, but still at 41.27%. This year, it was all the way up to 50%. So, obviously, if Derrick Henry is going to be on this historic pace, he's going to be scoring a lot of touchdowns. Now, without Derrick Henry, that percentage will likely drop, and it should land somewhere closer to the figures we saw in 2019 and 2020. So, that means more touchdowns through the air off of Tannehill's right arm. With A.J. Brown finally coming back to life, he's put up back-to-back games of over 100 yards and a score. And Julio have an extra time to recover. He's uh, suspected to return soon. You're looking at two top fifteen wide receivers talent wise, and potentially fantasy wise as well. And in an offense that's presumably becoming more pass heavy by nature, uh, and because they have to, uh, and also facing an easier schedule in the coming weeks, that alone is enough for me to to want to buy low in Tannehill. But we have to dive a little bit more into the schedule because if you look at it. Uh, you will see some tough matchups sprinkled in there. But I want to give it a little more context. As of right now, the Titans have four matchups left against top 10 fantasy defenses against the quarterback position and also four matchups against bottom 10 fantasy defenses against uh, quarterbacks in terms of points per game allowed. Now, when you're really going to need boom performances from Tannehill, he faces pretty ideal matchups. Two of, of those four easy matchups that I mentioned come in the weeks of semifinal week and championship week. So if you're a contender and you bring Ryan Tannehill on and you make it to the playoffs, all you have to do is win that divisional round. And then in the semifinal week and championship week, you face two very beatable defenses in uh, the Miami Dolphins. And I believe the other one is the uh, it's San Francisco 49ers who's lending up a ton of points uh, to the quarterback possession. So all those reasons and more, I think he's a great buy for contenders. And also, just like anecdotally, I think he's a better quarterback than he's been playing. He's been playing fairly poorly, but I think he's showed us that he could play very good, efficient football, and we haven't seen him without Derrick Henry. So I think the, the overall volume is, is going to increase out of necessity. So between all the statistics I've thrown out there and my general opinion on how he is at the quarterback position, I believe he's a great buy for contenders in dynasty fantasy football.
0: Yeah. This argument sounds eerily similar to my argument a couple, or I guess about a month ago when I told you to buy Julio Jones, right after that, Julio gets hurt and he's played like six snaps in total since I told you to do that. So hopefully we don't repeat that process with Ryan Tannehill, but the two, are very similar, right? A lot of the arguments you made about the regression back to the mean for the passing game, I think we still expect that to happen even if Derrick Henry was there, but without Derrick Henry, it seems like a foregone conclusion, right? That was one of the first things that we talked about when uh, we're going back and forth after the uh, Henry news broke. We're talking about who's going to be replacing Henry, and the answer for the Titans is that Ryan Tannehill needs to become the offense. Whoever you bring in a running back, and we've seen since, like, Adrian Peterson is not going to make this offense go. Not to say he can't be a piece in an offense that's going, but Tannehill needs to be that guy. And hopefully he gets Antonio, or not Antonio Brown, but Julio Jones back. AJ Brown, you've seen what that connection's been over the last few weeks. I mean, man is on fire. So if Tannehill continues to keep up that pace, I'd really like to see when Julio comes back, him target Julio Jones a little bit more, get Anthony Ferkser a little more involved in the offense. And uh, even Chester Rogers, their slot receiver, who's had some Big games here or there. It just seems like when Tannehill's throwing, he only has eyes for A.J. Brown. And that that can't continue anymore. Maybe you get away with that when defenses have to stack eight in the box and pay more attention to the best runner in football. But that's not going to be a thing anymore. He's not going to see many eight-man fronts anymore. Teams are going to be able to sit back and play the pass. And if you can bracket with a safety on A.J. Brown... The other guy's got to step up, and it's going to be Ryan Tannehill's job to get them involved and to make that offense go. So I like the pick. I think it's got as good a chance as any of hitting uh, from here on forward. Like he said, schedule's not terrifying. His last, his next couple of games are a little uh, tilt-worthy, I guess. It goes against the LA Rams in LA at SoFi on Sunday night, and then the New Orleans Saints who just held Tom Brady in check in Week 10. But after that, Houston, New England, the bye, and then like you said, Jacksonville, San Francisco, Miami, three of the last four weeks of the season. So he's got every opportunity to excel for you. I like Ryan Tannehill as a bye. Need to see some of his pass catchers step up.
1: Yeah, I wanted to make sure that I put him in here this week because I am not sure if he's facing a really tough matchup this week or if it's an opportunity for a shootout. And if it is a shootout, you know, we love to see shootouts because it just feeds fantasy points to uh, all parties involved. So I wanted to make sure you get him in here now. And maybe you can use the next two games as a reason to get Tannehill a little bit cheaper. Because like you said, he has the Rams, who everybody is afraid of because they have, you know, Jalen Rams, Aaron Donald. They just traded for Von Miller. And then the week after that, they have the Saints who are playing really good football. Uh, But that's also another team in flux. You know, they're they're having a midseason quarterback change that they weren't planning for. So I wanted to make sure I got this in now. And even if he doesn't have a great next two weeks, I still think he'll be worth it long term because, like we mentioned twice already, his schedule does ease up. And when it really matters, he's going to face some cupcake defenses. All right, on to you. Who is your Rebuilder by?
0: So for the rebuilders, knew it was just a matter of time. I've been mulling this name over all season and all season and the timing just never seemed right. But I'm pulling the trigger. Tua Tungavailoa is my rebuilder buy. And it's made all that much more easy by the fact that the trade deadline came and went, and Deshaun Watson. Didn't go anywhere. So Tua Tungavailoa, at least for the rest of this season, is going to be the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. And even if something happens this offseason, Miami eventually makes a move, brings in Deshaun Watson. I don't think Tua's getting thrown aside. That's something you and I talked a little bit about uh, when we were mulling over some of the Deshaun Watson uh possibilities earlier in the season it's like even even if you get traded in this Watson deal your career is not done now you're going to this other franchise as part of the move and you're going to chance to resurrect your career there but let's focus on Tua Tungavailoa and where he's at right now on the Miami Dolphins so the 23 year old quarterback has missed three full games and all but four attempts in another so he's essentially played in half the games four out of eight thus far the season and he's the quarterback 23 in fantasy points per game including that partial week in week two the four full games that he's played against new england jacksonville atlanta and buffalo so two great matchups two awful matchups and he's averaged about 29 fantasy points per game against jacksonville and atlanta outstanding he's beaten up on the defenses you need to beat up on and averaged 14 points per game against new england and buffalo now that may sound rough and not going to lie, it is. But those are two good defenses. Opposing quarterbacks not named Tua Tungavailoa are averaging a full fantasy point per game less when they face Buffalo or New England. These are solid defenses, all right? It's Bill Belichick, and it's the AFC's number one seed. These are great defenses that he struggled against. So for Tua Tungavailoa in Miami, Let's talk about the running game. The running game has been awful. Defenses are able to drop as many defenders as they want into coverage, mainly because the offensive run game is not a threat, and the offensive line is putrid. It's been terrible. It was rated going into this season the number 29 offensive line by Sharp Football and Pro Football Focus entering the season, and if you've watched the Dolphin game since then, it hasn't looked any better. This is a bottom-of-the-barrel type offensive line. So part of the reason that the offensive line can't get on track is because no one has to fear the run game. Miles Gaskin ranks 36th in the NFL in rushing yards. If you listen to this podcast for more than a week or two, you know how we feel about Miles Gaskin. All right. He's not putting fear into the, any hearts of any defenders out there. They could sit back and wait for Tua all day. Another thing helping them out is his wide receivers. His top wideouts: Jalen Waddle, a rookie, Devontae Parker and Will Fuller who can't stay healthy. While Waddle has been playing great for a rookie, he is still a rookie and his name is not Jamar Chase. The other two, Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, they have missed nine of the possible 16 combined games. So this offensive uh, line has been terrible. The running game's been terrible. The wide receiver core is better, but beat up. The team's been rotating wide receivers alongside Waddle like Preston Williams, Mac Collins, and Albert Wilson. Not exactly names that are striking fear into the hearts of defenders. Do you feel a common theme when I talk about this Miami offense? Mike Kosicki. He's getting hyper targeted because he's the only veteran pass catcher who can stay on the field. If we had other options for Tua, he would utilize them. But Mike Kosicki is the only reliable option on that offense right now who's been in the league for more than two months. According to next gen stats, Tua Tungavailoa ranks third in the NFL in time to throw, behind only Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady. So those two guys. Very different reasons for why they throw so fast. Ben Roethlisberger does it for the same reason as Tua. His offensive line can't protect him long enough for anything to happen. Tom Brady, it's because a play is out in front of him that quickly, and his 44-year-old mega brain just identifies it before the snap, so he can just get it out right away. He doesn't have to hold the ball. He knows what the defense is doing before they do. To wrap this all up, the common theme, the support options are abysmal in Miami, and I feel like Tua is bearing the brunt of that, and people are saying that he is a bad quarterback. No. Look at the hand he was dealt. Until that supporting cast gets better, which it only can. It can't get much worse than it is now. And when it gets better, it'll be more fair to judge Tua. Right now, trying to judge Tua for what he's doing with the pieces he has is unfair to Tua Tungavailoa. and I think now is the time to get in because his career is going to skyrocket if they ever get anyone around him. Please, Miami, somebody, do something.
1: This one's interesting because I do disagree with you, and, and you know this already because I sold him in iron dynasty league and i was the biggest to a supporter there are there was coming into the season and i've kind of changed my tune on that for a few reasons but i want to ask you a question have you ever heard of the truck and trailer analogy when it comes to quarterbacks
0: as far as like cause and effect
1: yeah so obviously there's a truck and there's a trailer a truck pulls the trailer a trailer is pulled by the truck so mm-hmm. a quarterback you can usually put them in one of two buckets is that quarterback a truck he sure, sure. takes his team where it's meant to go? Or is he a trailer where he's only going to go where the team takes him? Right? So you think of a Jared Goff when they went to the Super Bowl. He's a trailer. You think of, let's say, Dak Prescott. When he got injured last year, it was very obvious that he was the truck of that offense. I don't yeah. think Tua is a truck quarterback. I think he's a trailer. And I'm not just going to say I think it because I think it. I think it because he reminds me a lot of – Jameis Winston of Sam Darnold, these guys that have tools, but their decision making is their biggest flaw. And it pops up every game without fail. He makes some bonehead decisions. And like I said, when we were talking about quarterbacks and coaches having shorter leashes in the NFL nowadays, I don't know if the Dolphins are going to be patient enough to stick with him and build his confidence up, surround him by what he needs to become a better decision maker and thus a better quarterback and thus a long-term option for your fantasy team, whereas if they don't, or they start getting antsy and try to make a move for someone like a Deshaun Watson in the offseason, or use some of the draft capital that they've amassed over, two uh two, two first-round picks in 2023, one first-round pick in 2022, that is the Niners pick, which looks like a pretty solid pick right now. There is reasons to think Tua is not going to be long for Miami, or at least not going to be built around He's always going to be looked to up be upgraded from. So that's what scares me about Tua. And I don't think the Miami Dolphins are a stable enough franchise to facilitate his growth enough. I think he has the tools. I think he could be the guy. And it wouldn't shock me if he is. But I just don't know if Miami is the team to make it work. So I, I would love for him to go somewhere else where he could be groomed somewhere like New Orleans with Sean Payton, somewhere like, um, Seattle or not Seattle somewhere, uh, like, I don't know, like Matt Stafford went to LA. If Matt Stafford wasn't there and Tua was there, I think Sean Payton would, or Sean McVay would be great for him, but I just don't think Miami with their head coach likely not being long for Miami, their, their front office being kind of pushed one way or another by the owner as, as has been reported. I just don't think it's a great situation and I don't think Tua can overcome it.
0: So let me say this. I think there is a world in which both of what both of the statements you and I just made can both be correct. As far as your truck and trailer analogy, I would be on the campus it's too soon. He's definitely not making the guys around him superstars. That's fair. But there's only maybe you could count on one hand how many guys in the NFL can actually do that, can actually overcome and no matter what weapons they have and make them great. And you don't need to do that to be a good fantasy quarterback. You can absolutely be a trailer with and be a fantasy quarterback. Like like. Like we saw the aforementioned Jameis Winston do a couple years ago. We saw when he gets handed Mike Evans and Chris Godwin that he could be a top five quarterback. And now, yes, therein lies the question, is that ever going to happen for Miami? But the good news is they did at least attempt to do that this offseason. It hasn't manifested yet, but they spend a top 10 pick on a wide receiver. They bring in Will Fuller to the one-year deal, and this upcoming season – Uh, They have lots of draft capital, like we talked about last show, multiple first round picks and nearly $80 million in cap room. That's enough money to make a splash somewhere. So you can upgrade the offensive line. You can bring in one of these free agent running backs. You can bring in one of these free agent wide receivers. You can make the supporting cast better this upcoming season with that kind of cap room. So I guess this is me pushing my chips in saying that it can't get worse, even though it's not guaranteed to get better. I want to get in now. To make sure that I do, because if it does take off, Tua may be that trailer, like you're saying, but he's going to be one of the best damn trailers in the NFL. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, we'll see. Uh, I think it's time to move on to the cells. So, cell.
0: what a nice sound! no 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 take just get it out of here you can sell anything sell, sell, anything. sell me this f- pen right here you can sell anything sell that we all sell out every day might as well be on the winning team
1: Sell. all right so if you're a contender i'm here to tell you that you should sell michael carter and he's been making some noise i think it's fool's gold but i'm gonna kind of tell you why right so before he was picked in the fourth round by the Jets, he ran a 45440 at his pro day. Uh, that's a pro day number, right? So we're not sure how accurate that is. And, but it, you know, 454, 4, it sounds fast, right? But for a guy his size, that's only good for a 28th percentile speed score. Underwhelming. As for what he's done in the league so far, he's averaged 3.5 yards per carry. That's good for 60th in the league at the RB position. Underwhelming. His production premium sits at a negative 1.3. If you're not sure what that is, according to playerprofile.com, what that metric tracks is that when all backs are playing in a league average situation, how efficient are they? Well, his value comes in at 61st in the league there. Uh, once again, another metric in the 60s, underwhelming. And uh, how about his pass catching? He's been pretty good there, kind of. He's top 24 in receiving yards per game at the position, but he still only averages 0.74 fantasy points per touch. That's good for 48th in the league. Once again, underwhelming. He had 14 targets this past week with Mike White. That's awesome. The week before that, he had nine targets once again with Mike White. Um, But before that, in five or six weeks with Zach Wilson, he had three or less targets. So when Zach Wilson comes back, likely after this Thursday's game, you're looking at a potentially, likely less targets out of the backfield for Michael Carter, which is where he's done all his damage so far. And speaking of his damage, he's had three touchdowns over the last four weeks. I think that's pretty unsustainable for a running back that's in an offense that averages just 1.9 touchdowns per game. That's bottom five in the league. He's also averaged 138 scrimmage yards over the last two weeks. That's accounting for 33% of the Jets' total offense over that time. For some context, Alvin Kamara, one of the best running backs in the league, accounts for 34% of the Saints' total yards so far this year. So that shows how unsustainable his pace is when you're talking about a back with limited upside in terms of, of his athletic profile and how efficient he is when he is being used. So I don't think he's particularly special the metrics don't show that he's particularly special, and Zach Wilson is coming back. We haven't seen a producer with Zach Wilson. This upcoming week, the Jets play the Colts in Indy on Thursday night. It's the third worst matchup for running backs, allowing only 13.7 points to their position per game. And then they get the Bills at home. Those Bills are the worst matchup in the league for running backs, allowing only 13.2 points to their position per game. Then they go through a pretty average schedule into the Fantasy Championship weekend, where they face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who allow only 14.8 points per game at the running back position. So if you're a contender and you buy him now, you're probably not going to want to start him this week or next week. And then if you make it to the championship, you're probably not going to want to start him against Tampa Bay. So overall, I just don't see this production being sustainable, and his hype is at an all-time high. I think it's a good time to get out from under him before he shows everyone just how underwhelming he truly is. And you can sell him right now, I think, to a rebuilder because he's young. He's at a position of high value because of scarcity at running back. And he's on a team that a lot of people think are on the up and up, myself included. But I also think that team is smart enough to know that Michael Carter is not the long-term option at the running back position. And they will upgrade that as soon as they have the opportunity to do so. So if you're a contender, get out from under Michael Carter today.
0: Before I talk about Michael Carter, I'm going to tie your buy and your sell together. So with Tannehill, one of the stats that I gave in the pregame was against the Indianapolis Colts. His two games against the Colts, he's had three touchdown passes, and he's been one or none in every other game this season. And I think it's because, or at least has a lot to do with the stat that you just gave about them being one of the worst running back matchups in the league. And I think that is something to be optimistic about with Tannehill, because obviously Derrick Henry has not been stopped. But the Colts do a better job than anyone in at least slowing him down. They did last week, and obviously the Jones fracture played a a part in that. But it's good to see that Tannehill was successful against the Colts in games where Derrick Henry wasn't leading the way. So... Just a little combining the two of them there. And as far as Michael Carter goes, so the actual guy we're talking about here. If you heard me talk about Michael Carter at all in the offseason, you already know that I agree with this one. I'm on board. Michael Carter is the definition of a jag. He was just a guy for the draft process, and he's looked like just a guy in the NFL. You just rattled off 100 things that support that claim. There's nothing that Michael Carter does that I've seen that I saw in the pre-draft process to make me think he's special at even this one thing, much less overall as a player. And I think that you're right, that this is the time to move on because after the spike week, the back-to-back weeks with the heavy volume, before Zach Wilson gets back, it's a good time to move on because he is just a guy. And this is whether you're a contender or a rebuilder, I think. If I'm a rebuilder, I really don't want him either because I do see this addre- this position getting addressed again in the near future for New York, maybe as soon as this off-season, and. Any sort of special talent, a day two pick at running back, a free agent acquisition, anyone who does any one thing well does it better than Michael Carter, if that makes sense. He's just sort of an average running back all the way across the board. Like you make him in Madden and every single stat or attribute is like a 70. Like he doesn't have a 71 in anything. He's just okay at everything. So yeah, I'm all for it.
1: Yeah. If there's one thing to take from this, well, everything that I said and everything that Kyle just said, it's that. He is just a guy, and Jags are fragile. They do not last in the NFL. They're not going to produce for you long-term, and uh, you got to get rid of them at their peak value. And I think right now is is when that value is at its peak. So there you go.
0: You know who else is at peak value right now? The guy yeah. I'm going to tell you to sell if you are a rebuilder, and that's Tyler Boyd. So this may seem like it's sort of odd name to say Tyler Boyd. Sort of... Boyd sort of floated under the radar for most of the season, but the 26-year-old is actually a wide receiver 3 right now on the season. He's had a really good start to the season and I think now is the time to sell. So he's on pace for 79 yards or 79 catches rather, 845 yards and four touchdowns at about the halfway point of the season. All those numbers are right on pace with his career averages like almost to the dot. So why in the world would I be advocating a sell? Two names, Jamar Chase and T Higgins. These guys are not JAG wide receivers. These are special guys.
1: You're very special.
0: Jamar Chase is setting rookie, uh, rookie records left and right, and T. Higgins is an outstanding talent. I got him as a top 25, 30 Dynasty wide receiver. His time is coming. I promise you, his time is coming. All three of these wide receivers so, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd they're all under contract with the Bengals until 2024 which point Tyler Boyd will become a 30 year old free agent. We've got three more years of this trio of wide receivers. Tyler Boyd is not overtaking T Higgins. Tyler Boyd is not overtaking Jamar Chase. He is designated as that number 3 wide receiver on the team. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what the number 3 receiver on a team actually means. So Tyler Boyd right now has a target share of over 21% for the Bengals. That's third on the team behind the aforementioned Jamar Chase and T Higgins. His 51 targets, just one behind Higgins and seven behind Jamar Chase on the season. This is a, this has been a completely split wide receiver room thus far, and this is not going to continue. So let's look at the state of the NFL as a whole. Number three wide receivers in the rest of the NFL, so outside of Cincinnati, currently have an a- average target share of just 13.76%. Again, that number was over 21% for Tyler Boyd. No other number three target in the NFL has a target share higher than 18.5%. That's Cole Komet, ironically, for the Chicago Bears, behind uh, the two wide receivers, Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney. Next up, 17.99%, we have Chase Claypool. So I just named two bottom eight or nine offenses in the NFL and the Chicago Bears and the Pittsburgh Steelers. In fact, they're number 32 and 24 in the NFL as far as yards go. So those target shares are a little bit misleading. They're getting larger pieces of a pie. Warm apple pie.
1: Yeah? Yeah. Apple pie, huh? Uh huh.
0: McDonald's are homemade, but the pie is spoiled. It's been out for like six days. You went on a trip over the weekend, forgot to refrigerate it. I really don't want to touch those pies. All right, so all that pie, (laughs) don't like it.
1: That pie, you know what I mean. (laughs) We'll just tell your mother that uh, that uh, we ate it all.
0: So all that having to do with the Cincinnati passing game. This is not to mention that Joe Mixon is currently second in the NFL in rush attempts behind only Derrick Henry. So there's another piece of the pie that's going to be taken out. All right. He's going to take away work. So if you think that Tyler Boyd is better than Jamar Chase, better than T. Higgins, or better than Joe Mixon, then you should absolutely hold if you think he's going to move into a number two role. But if you've graduated from the third grade and you can see that this volume is not sustainable coming off of the wide receiver 13 performance last week, now is the time to sell Tyler Boyd.
1: Yeah, I love this one. This one's great. I, this kind of coincides with my rebuilder buy of T Higgins a few weeks ago where I had all these same points, just not as detailed laid out as you have them for why I think T Higgins is going to see more work is because him and Jamar Chase are clearly the one and two in that offense. There's no debating that. They're much, they're much more applicable to their roles. They're better overall talents. Um, I think they both have better, um better draft drink, capital, better athleticism, yeah, better, better prospect pack. profiles, everything. Yeah, I mean from A to Z, they are better wide receivers than Tyler Boyd. And a lot of people like to to think uh, you know, slot receivers, they're gonna get a ton of volume. It's like yeah, in, in offenses where the slot receiver is the most talented receiver. That's why everybody loved Elijah Moore going to the Jets where that wide receiver room is way open. But this wide receiver room is it's full, it's closed. And Tyler Boyd is the first one getting getting uh the smallest piece of pie left. right. Yeah. So
0: you got to be the number two, I think for that slot role to really be a different, you got to be the number two in the offense. If you're the number three or lower, just there's not going to be enough volume. It's not going to happen. You have to be a number two. We saw it like specifically with Juju Smith-Schuster. I think he's a great sort of warning label for Tyler Boyd. Look at what Juju was doing when he was the number two in the offense behind AB. He was a top 12 to 18 wide receiver. And then it goes to a crowded receiver room where he gets pushed back to the number three on the team. And it was just unsustainable. So I think if you're the number two, that slot role is really valuable. Tyler Boyd is not the number two in this offense.
1: If I was an NFL team, I would love to have Tyler Boyd on my team. He's a much better NFL wide receiver than he is fantasy wide receiver. And those are the guys you always should look to sell. The guys that have a better football perception and a better role in real NFL than they do in fantasy because their value is always inflated. And I agree with you on this one. If you're a rebuilder, take advantage of that inflated value of Tyler Boyd and get rid of him now. I mean, he's 26 years old. He's not exactly young, okay, but he's young enough that somebody would, would like to have him on yep. their team. and His age is not a you.
0: disqualifier, yeah.
1: All right, man, you ready for the last segment? Let's do
0: it. Do you remember, oh,
1: I remember. Ooh, oh. 100% Rex Grossman?
0: Yeah, I remember Sexy Rexy <laughs> before Rex Sexy Rexy Grossman, <laughs> Rex Grossman. Of course. Um, <sighs> how many teams did
1: he play for? You got his page up? Yeah, I got it up. Uh, it looks like he played for three teams.
0: All right. So Chicago. Yes. Did he play for? Give me, give me the division for the other two.
1: AFC South and NFC East.
0: So NFC East was it Washington?
1: Yes, he played for Washington. And then,
0: what was the last one you said, ASC South? Yep. That (sighs) was...
1: 2009, he had a total of nine attempts for this team.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, I I don't know how I can't remember him.
1: Uh, I'll say Jacksonville. It was Houston. Damn. All right. I don't remember that at all. They're trotting out the 2021 version of Rex Grossman right now with Davis yeah. Mills. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Davis Mills. Uh, did, didn't Rex Grossman go to a Super Bowl?
0: Was he a part of the Chicago team that lost to Indy? I thought he was. Now I have that to look this up. That was 2006.
1: 2006? That yes, yes. He was the starting quarterback. Was he in Chicago there? 16 games played. 480 attempts. Oh, yeah, he, he was doing it. T- Touchdown-to-interception ratio, 23 to 20. So he's barely hanging on.
0: That team was more carried by its defense, I think, even than, what was it, the 01 Ravens or 03 Ravens? The 2000 Ravens. Yeah. Okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah, right before, yeah. That Chicago team, that offense, it was, I think that might have been right before Devin Hester, or maybe that was Hester's, like, rookie year was 2006. But they had the great special teams. Obviously, you had Brian Urlacher in that amazing Chicago defense. That was the last time the Bears have been good. After that, they've been complete and utter disappointments ever since.
1: Yeah, so that was, like you said, it was uh, the 2006 season. The game was in 2007. Man, the, <laughs> the, the Bears were averaging 205 yards passing per game.
0: Back sounds oh, gross. Tell you what, the Bears would kill for 205 passing yards per game right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I you guess you're right. <laughs> it sounds terrible thinking back, but like if you look to 2021, Justin Fields is just not even coming close. Who has the better career yards. when it's all
0: said and done, Rex Grossman or Justin Fields? Oh,
1: God, please be Justin Fields.
0: <laughs> for more... Random Rex Grossman facts. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at F Flexicution, F L E X E C U T I O N, Fantasy Flexicution on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at FF Master Debater. It's been a real one, dawg. Yep. It's been fun. Hope you all learned
1: something. Peace.